Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 138, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. A Michigan high school is starting class at 3 p.m. We'll tell you why. And we learn more about the Delta fuel dump over a school. We had an airliner, an airliner, like drop fuel onto the school. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through stories. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, how to lead through a natural disaster. Our guest did just that during three separate events, including Hurricane Katrina. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by the principal that just won't slow down, Christina Pollard. How are you doing? I'm out of breath. I know. <laughs> I've been running today as usual. You came running in in the pouring rain today. Pouring rain. I'm lucky that you like me and you like being on the show. Yes. And it was a marvelous Monday, though, if you want to know. Yeah. I mean, was it good? Good start to the week. Good. I've, I've got a question. I Hopefully you, you don't get mad at me on this because I think you have a unique perspective on something I was thinking about recently. Recently, we had signing day um, for all these students, like high schoolers who are going to college. Usually, it's football, um, and it's a big deal. Yes. You have a unique perspective because you are an educator, and for anyone who doesn't listen to the show all the time, I'm going to give you a little background. You also have a husband who's a football coach at a junior college, right? Yes. And you have a son who plays football in college, and you have another son who is likely going to play football in college. Yes. But let's go back to the fact that you are an educator. So do you ever feel, and you can be honest, do you ever feel like signing day is too much? Never. Never. You don't feel like, why don't we sign um, the kids that are going to Harvard and make a big deal about them? That's up to their schools. Yeah. Um, So there's two ways to look at this, and I always say that, don't I? Yeah. Um, Just because you have to have some background information. One, it is a huge deal because these young people work hard for I don't know how many years. Uh, carrying a full academic load, sometimes also a job. And then being in athletics, that's a job in itself. And then from the perspective of a coach's wife, um, those men are on the road. There's so much time and effort put into trying to find the right fit for their program. I think the sign-in day is a huge deal because you're talking transition from high school to university ball and all that it brings. And it's not just high school. Um, Your JUCO players also participate in sign-in day on where they're going to finish and earn their bachelor degrees. And so at the end of the day, you're still talking about a young person earning a college degree. Um, however, a few years ago, and I don't want to quote this the wrong way, but if I'm not mistaken, Michelle Obama um, encouraged some educators in different parts of our country to have National College Signing Day. It happens late in the spring. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely over the last few years, more and more high schools are participating where there's a big to-do at school yeah. um, with all the kids announcing where they're going to school and if they're receiving scholarships. Now, you know high schools have always done scholarship night where those kids get to come across the stage and they're presented in front of their whole community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a local decision. But I have noticed that over the years, 
years, more and more schools are participating in that signing day. And I actually think it happens either late in April or very early in May. And she promotes it every year. And so those are not athletes. Those are straight scholars who are being recognized for their college or university selection. I I would like to see more of that to kind of balance things out. But I I blame society. Like it's, we're at fault. Those of us who aren't in the system, whether we don't have kids, we aren't teachers or whatever, like we're the ones driving this whole high school signing day for football. But I think it happens. It's just not publicized like signing day. Signing day is a big deal because you know, they literally have to sign forms and commit mm-hmm. to a program. Oh, I mean, the local news covers that. Right. But they don't necessarily cover the kid who maybe got a perfect score in his ACT and heads off to They don't, but I put that responsibility on the high school counselors and the high school principals. Yeah. They won't, listen, the media wants to hear all of that good information. Call them yeah. in, have a big to-do night for all of your ACT yeah. high scores, all of your children earning, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in scholarships. Um, and those are the nights that we don't hear a lot about. About. They yeah. only invite the parents of the children involved, and it should be something that's announced for everyone to come and support. I appreciate your perspective because I'm always it always comes up for me once a year, and I kind of think about it. And I'm like, what about these kids? Well, let's go ahead and jump into the news. What's going on in the teachers' lounge today? In the teachers' lounge today, well, I could say that I'm getting a little extra time during the day in the lounge since high school students um, are a little more interested in going to school after three o'clock. Three o'clock. Where, what's happening here? Well, there's a school district in Michigan that is piloting a new program where um, high school juniors and seniors are able to take their courses online, but specifically after three o'clock. What does that provide them with? More hours of sleep. They can work a, a legitimate, you know, part time job and, and, and work 30, 35 hours a week. Um, and then start classes at three o'clock. They'll come in and they focus on reading and math first. They'll even have dinner and then come back and take care of those um, elective courses and other research assignments that are due. Some say it's an, it's a success because young people today are quite different. Um, they're a little more ambitious. They like to do things differently. Of course, it's a digital time and some are, some are really liking it, but I'm trying to think Who's facilitating that and what teachers are okay with working the evening or are they required to teach all day and, and then teach in the evening down. in addition? Right. Yeah, that's it. And so, and I guess, does a district really demand this? I know you say it's a pilot. They're testing it. But I mean, I'm just surprised that there's enough kids that would be interested in this. Apparently it's growing. It's growing and other school districts are are paying attention and interested in it. But, you know, from the principal's perspective, I start thinking about budgeting. Um, who's there to maintain the, the facilities? Um, you're running your um, energy much longer in the day. Of right. course, we need to do what's best for students. If they can be successful and we can identify certified licensed teachers that can provide the service needed for this online setting. I mean, we do have um, the Mississippi Virtual School, you know, um, access now for our students as well. But I think that is in addition to attending, you know, traditional courses during the day. Right. The whole idea of taking classes late was always appealing to me when like I was in college, like on the surface, you're like, oh, I'll I'll sleep in and I won't have to go to a class until 6 p.m. Yeah, but that's like taking a 10 a.m. class starting at three o'clock. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was 
it ended up every time I actually did it in practice, it was a horrible idea. It's so hard. It's kind of like going to the gym, you know, like I always believe like you knock it out first thing in the morning mm -hmm. and you just get it out of the way. And then right. you can, cause you will make up excuses throughout the day. And, and I wonder if that doesn't happen with these kids who have to show up later in the day. Like if it, it's I'm just telling you, they haven't really identified any negative impact or factors um, impacting this idea. I think it has to do with where you are, what's being offered to students. And if they have a good number of students that that works for them, I, I, I say go for it. But I hope that it does not become something that they try to push down and across all states. It's just not feasible everywhere. Um, remember the story we did a couple episodes back about the Delta airline and dumping the fuel on the uh, yeah. playground. Yeah. So the actual original phone calls have been released. We had an airliner, an airliner, uh, drop fuel onto the school as we're, we're out here on the playground. I'm redirecting all my children and all my staff to bring in the kids, but it was actually raining airline fluid <laughs> uh, fuel onto my campus. Well, hold on for the fire department. So she's going to now Listen, kind of like she's so calm and <laughs> right. reporting the facts, but that, do you have, that sounds so insane. The fire department's on the line. You need to Here's the fire department. Yes, uh. Yes, is this the fire department? Yes, it is. What's the address of the location of the emergency? Uh, 330 East 93rd. Okay. Is this going to be a house or an apartment? This is a elementary school. We have 11, uh, 1,100 kids. Okay. What's the emergency? Well, there was an airline uh, that came uh, right across the school. Uh, we're in the pathway of LAX and dropped fuel onto the yard. So it was sprinkling airline uh, fuel. All right. Give me one second. Anybody injured? Well, I don't know. People are, are kind of nauseated. Okay. So you physically saw it uh, spraying physically over the... Physically saw it, yes. I was shocked. Okay. And, and, and the airline came pretty low. So uh -huh. normally when they drop fuel that early, there must be an emergency landing. Pretty smart. <laughs> Clearly, uh, right. with, the, with the she's within you know a few uh, I don't know a mile a block or what of the right. of the airport. So she's pretty knowledgeable. But I just can't believe. It happened so quickly. And going back to our story, I had to think back to when we covered that. Um, they weren't in the air very long before this emergency started. Yeah, no. So they, I think they got over the um, Pacific Ocean and had to spin that round and as they were passing back over the school. And, and if you didn't catch that other episode, apparently when they reported this airline was having... Um, engine trouble. Yeah, engine trouble and or some sort of difficulties. And the um, traffic control said, you need to dump fuel. And they... Report, reportedly said no twice but then not long before they hit the airport they decided they did to dump it the anyway fuel and it landed all over our school and i yeah. bet just trying to place that emergency call and explain what they're experiencing at that moment it just didn't make any sense probably it, to try and re share that information but also to try and process oh, that it, information it, for the emergency operator because like we know what happened and so we're, we're kind of like yeah he said fuel dumped on the but like if you if you don't expect this to be coming like i'm sure it was very confusing for all parties involved nothing um, should be coming from an airline over a school anyway i guess if there's anything though that did concern me 
is the fact that when a school like dials 911, maybe it was calling from a cell phone, I just feel like everything something should, be should have accelerated. happened faster. Yeah. That's correct. And everything kind of felt slow. It was, now, see, I didn't, didn't want to go there. He acted yeah. very nonchalant and not moved in any way. Well, <laughs> it, it, even, even when he was like, you know, is this a residence or a business or whatever he said? And he was like, a school. That's when like, it's like, oh, a school. Okay, which one? We're going to, like, they're on the way. Like, yeah. we'll figure it out once we get there, you know? Is this um, a house or an apartment? Right, yeah. And, um, you know, and I get it. It's, it's They must get a lot of bogus calls. Yeah, it's tough to be, especially we need, in Los we need Angeles, to look into right? that. Yeah, but um, I just had to update us on that. And just listening to that, that audio is, um, it's a little tough to hear. I, I'm, I'm assuming uh, what we had out here, maybe 300? We have employees here, too, that were sprayed. Okay. <clears throat> Give me one second, okay? Did you see the airline, the name of the airline? No, because we're right underneath, yeah. I mean, we're in the pathway of airlines. I don't some quite frequently, but this is the first time they actually came pretty low and dropped their fuel. Yeah, okay. All right, sir. So I'm going to have fire department on the way. They're going to be there very shortly, okay? How many of them are really soaked? It just got sprayed, or is it just, like... So, well, they got sprayed. I mean, there was quite a few out here playing in the yard when I was out here, and I'm like, I don't believe this is happening. Yeah. Okay. Literally. I don't know why I find the story so fascinating. It's unbelievable. I, but it, it's like I feel like a lot of people haven't talked about it, and I don't know if there's anything you can do to prevent it in the future other than just follow the normal procedures that a a pilot should follow. Like the Most procedures are already in place. But um, I don't know, just kind of... I hope it uh, requires the airline to go back during their investigation and possibly adjust procedures and not just ask, do you, and hear someone say, no, we don't, negative, and then they do it anyway. There needs to be a another step involved in yeah. announcing that we're going to and what is your location exactly. of doing so. Because um, that, that could have turned out a whole lot worse than it did. Um, we actually have a really interesting interview that lines up with that. We are talking about um, how to lead through a crisis. Awesome. Are you ready for the bright idea? Ready. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to talk about leading through natural disasters. By no choice of his own, he became an expert on the topic. Dr. Ben Burnett was a principal when his campus was struck by a Hurricane Katrina in 2005. He was a superintendent when one of his schools was struck by a very powerful EF4 tornado in 2013. And he was the college dean when his campus was struck by a powerful EF3 tornado in 2017. Dr. Burnett, welcome back to Class uh, Dismissed. Well, thank you. I enjoyed my time uh, last time and certainly appreciate what you and your company do to advance education in Mississippi. So I'm yeah, prou we, proud to be here. We appreciate that. And, you know, we, if anyone wants to listen to that previous episode, I think it was episode 115. Um, I mentioned you were a dean at the William Carey University um, when it comes to the Department of Education right, over there. Right. And um, you guys, I saw you had some pretty big news recently, right? Uh, yeah, our president just released uh, last week and uh, put it out on our social media uh, uh, this week that uh, according to the U.S. Department of Education, where they house all of the self-reported graduation numbers from all the colleges and universities like, uh, all over the country, um, uh, the, our School of Education had 521 graduates in 2018, which is a pretty big number. Wow, this is for, like, educators. You're Just, graduating them. Yeah. Wow. And uh, not all, I mean, it's mostly graduates, so we'd like to increase our undergraduate numbers, which have gone up by 25% this year, so we're heading in the right direction. But a combined graduation of uh, 521, wow. and that was the largest of any public or private 
uh, institution in the state. Right, and so, you guys are private. So that's a big deal when you uh, take it on these a, big schools. It's a really big deal. And also, to put it in perspective, William Carey uh, has over 5,000 students, uh, has, has doubled in the last 10 years, so a lot of growth. But out of that uh, and, uh, over 5,000, we only graduate about 1,000 a year. And so half of the graduates at William Carey are education graduates. So uh, well, I'm real proud of our staff, uh, not just now, but, you know, in the past decade or two decades that have built a program and a ministry here for uh, education in the state of Mississippi. It's pretty cool to, to be around. There's a lot to be proud of there. So congrats to you all. Thanks. You know, I, I really wanted to have you on the show because you this has to be unique. I'm trying to think of another <laughs> education leader that has dealt with not one, not two, but three yeah. natural. I mean, do you know any colleagues or anybody who's kind of been in the same boat? No, I try not to talk about it because I think if um, if word got out, uh, you know, uh, Dr. King might just relieve me of my duties or... <laughs> yeah, you think it's a negative, you, huh? Yeah, certainly if I ever, and I don't plan on, you know, I, I love William Carey. I'm uh, glad to spend what will probably be the last part of my career in education there. But, you know, if I did ever decide to leave, who would hire somebody who <laughs> uh, just is followed by natural disaster? So I think it's a good thing. I'm wondering why you're not speaking at conferences on this topic. I mean, well, you do have a unique perspective. Yeah, nobody has asked me to. Several uh, people at William Carey have gotten to speak nationally uh, on this topic because they did. And I'll get to that in the story. Uh, William Carey University and the uh, insurance department our insurance agency that, that carried our insurance did a phenomenal job, the best I've seen in my recovery efforts. Okay. So they certainly deserve to tell their story nationwide. But I do have a different perspective from uh, principal to superintendent to now dean of education, which is uh, I teach in our ed leadership program that uh, certifies people to be school principals. And uh, so I, I think I have a great perspective, Right. you know, to talk about, uh, and I'm the mostly, unexpected, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm mostly teaching school law, in which that does pertain to this, because uh, in uh, public education in Mississippi, uh, you're bound by the state purchasing laws, which are very rigid. Uh, but there are some exceptions when you get to uh, when you declare a state of emergency within your school district. Okay. Then state uh, purchasing laws can be suspended for that period of time. But there are certain steps you have to go through. And there are certain requirements that you've got to meet. So I can, uh, you know, having that background and experience, I, th I just think God was preparing me to be able to tell that portion of my story to other people, you know, to, to get ready. Because uh, one of my first thoughts uh, as superintendent, when I rounded the corner and saw uh, O'Grove High School had a big, just a big uh, path taken out of uh, right. out of one of the sections, my first thought was uh, nobody prepared me for this. Right, and, and that's why you're here, and that's why I hope people listen to this episode because, you know, let's. I think the best way to do this is let's just do it chronologically. I mean, okay. Let's go back to 2005. Um, Hurricane Katrina is a little different than a tornado because, yep. you know, a district knows it's coming. You're, right. you're able to make sure everyone's at home, taking care of themselves. You're more worried about facilities and, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, friends and family. Um, you know, that storm, I remember um, I, was, I was working with the TV station at the time. I was on air at the time, and it, it kind of pushed through. It's a long event. And Very it was still daylight, I think, or it was just about evening time when people, when it had passed, and people yeah. probably started to get out and look at mm -hmm. the damage that Katrina had caused. So yeah. I'll let you take it from there. Like, uh, did you even get to the school that evening? Uh, well, first of all, no, no, I did not. And, and first of all, to recount that that weekend, ironically, I was teaching at William Carey on that Saturday because mm. wow. uh, I taught. I was an adjunct instructor at William Carey for a decade before I became the dean. 
and I was teaching a group of graduate students, and I remember vividly at a break, uh, we knew that we'd heard there's a hurricane coming. If you'll remember that one, it took a different turn, mm-hmm. picked up speed, and so this was not, we didn't know what was coming. We didn't have, you know, two or three days to know that it was going to be as bad as it was. Uh, but I remember at a, at a break teaching on that Saturday, we pulled up the weather radar on, on the screen where I was teaching uh, at William Carey, and we all just kind of looked at each other. <laughs> and I said to one of them, I said, you know what? We may not have school Monday. Right. <laughs> the other statement, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And then thinking, well, uh, had no idea that we wouldn't be, we'd be out for three weeks. Right. You know, so just Monday was not the issue, uh, but none of us knew of what was happening. I remember that Sunday morning, it hit on Monday, if you'll remember, mm-hmm. and Sunday morning, I have a sister who lives in Atlanta, and she woke me up that Sunday morning, Colin, uh, and she was hollering at me. I also have a sister who lives in Ocean Springs. Right, which on, is on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, yeah, if you don't know. Uh, yeah, on the beach. Right. And so she lost, uh, they, has a uh, condo they lived in for decades, and she lost basically everything. They had to rebuild Right, and, uh, but they were safe. They they went and uh, stayed with my parents in, in Central Mississippi, but my other sister called, uh, just hollering, literally, get y'all get out of there, get out of there, because it had strengthened to a Category Five at right. that time. So that afternoon, after church, we went to church and uh, we took our son. Uh, you know, my son grew up in the halls of Oak Grove Middle School where I was principal. Uh, and uh, he spent most of his waking moments there. And so that uh, Sunday afternoon, we went and covered all the the computers with garbage bags. And, and you were principal at the high school at this time, right? Oak Grove Middle. Middle. Okay, mm-hmm. you're at the middle school. Gotcha. Yeah. So we did everything we could at that campus. Uh, and we didn't have a protocol of what you do with a hurricane. Okay. And uh, now the school district, after that, they developed an intricate protocol. And when I became superintendent, we had a couple of hurricane uh, scares, you mm-hmm. know, we're actually out of school and some moved through and we had a specific checklist uh, that they had devised before I was elected superintendent, which was masterful of exactly what to do because there were so many lessons learned by right. the school district. Uh, so we, we uh, did as much as we could at the school to kind of prepare. And at home, we did very little. Uh, I mean, we took down all the stuff that would fly and everything, but you know, we didn't uh, we didn't have any water after that. Yeah, and, and I just want people listening to understand, it sounds silly that we wouldn't do a whole lot, but we're an hour inland. Right. Um, and it, gosh, I, I don't know that a hurricane had ever impacted an hour inland in South Mississippi if in 30, 40 years, probably. Yeah, not, not so we since, didn't really expect it to be as bad as it was. Yeah, not since Camille did we have anything this uh, right. strong inland. Uh, and to give you, an ex- uh, the listeners, an example of, you know, we don't, we certainly don't take uh, hurricanes lightly, but we've gone through so many. Uh, my sister that I mentioned earlier in Ocean Springs, I mean, several years, maybe 10 years after Katrina, I remember a hurricane was out in the Gulf and about to push through. And I called her and I said, hey, don't y'all need to come stay with us in Hattiesburg? Because a Category 1, if it hit directly at the Gulf Coast, would be just a tropical storm when it got here. Right. Uh, it'd be bad, but it would not. Uh, we could deal with it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Not devastating. And her response was, "Ah, oh, it's just a Category One." Right. That's, that's <laughs> the way people think around here. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and and that particular storm actually turned and went a different direction, and I don't think they got any even wind or, or any really rain. So you know, we didn't get out of town, and which is the first thing after we survived that. I looked at my wife and I said, "Never again." Right. Well, I'll leave uh, uh, you and our son. 
here. Uh, right. One that had pushed through earlier, earlier, um, probably two or three years before that. Uh, I do remember sending uh, her and our son, and I think he was an infant at that time, uh, to Meridian, where her parents are from, because I didn't want them there because we had opened the middle school for the county as a shelter. Yeah, was it maybe was it George it was in ninety eight, yeah. ninety nine, somewhere yeah. around there? Yeah, our yeah. son was born in uh, that one was pretty bad. May of ninety eight, mm-hmm. and so I think it was that you know that hurricane season in ninety eight. So I yeah. sent them out of town. And I spent that night sleeping in the hallway of Oak Grove Middle School wow. because we were open as a shelter. Uh, and it was it, it did some uh, damage, knocked out power, but it was nothing you know like what we're expecting. Yeah. So you, so you start to survey the damage of Katrina. I mean, what what are you taking out? Uh, so Monday, after it hit, you know, we didn't surface out of the house. Our our house got hit by a pine tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost six or eight pine tree, big pine trees, in, right. <laughs> in the yard. Uh, and I couldn't get out of the house uh, and out of the driveway. And so we kind of walked around and checked on our neighbors. Everybody checked on each other. And um, our assistant principal at that time actually lived and still lives in the same neighborhood as we do. And so, you know, we checked on them and talked about the school. And so uh, uh, later, uh, or actually it was the next day, we spent the first night at the house. And then the next day, he and I uh, got in a vehicle, and it took us, it's only four miles from where we lived, Oak Grove Middle School, and it took us probably 15 or 20 minutes because, you know, tre- yeah. trees down everywhere. Right. And when I turned in and saw uh, the front of the middle school building, I literally teared up because, you know, I'd gone to school in that building. Right. Uh, I mean, I literally uh, grew up on... Uh, and so what was the damage? Because I, I really don't know. There was so much damage when I was covering news. I, yeah. I couldn't even tell you specifics. Well, and and it was so widespread in the district, you, you know, when these tornadoes hit, we could focus on the recovery because it was just like at Oak Grove High School in 2013. It was just that one school. So everything was focused. Right. But, uh, but in Katrina, it was district-wide, everybody, and especially down in Purvis. So the, the damage was worse because it's further south. It's further yeah. south. Uh, but we had a tornado, we suspect, that had gone down the main building at Oak Grove Middle School and basically just peeled the roof back. And it was the building where my office was. So I walked into my office and all the drop ceiling tile was, you know, wet and uh, on the floor. It looked like mashed potatoes were all <laughs> right. over the whole. And so anyone listening who's not familiar with this type of weather, you have the hurricane, but then you have these small tornadoes oh, yeah. embedded yeah. within the hurricane. It sounds that's like right. that's what caught your office. You yeah, think. and we had plenty yeah. of wind damage, trees down, um, uh, glass everywhere. And, uh, but we had a we, we were without a roof uh, for that uh, main building. And uh, when you get a time like that, of course, you have your insurance company. But we just had to go into survival mode as a right. com- community because... Uh, the uh, people everywhere were trying to, you know, restore power, cut trees and work on roofs. So you didn't have an insurance company that could just focus on you. So we literally, a team of teachers and community members, got together one morning. To get the school reopened. And we literally went from the front of that building to the back and cleared out every uh, room, swept, mopped, cleaned up everything. And then I helped a team of people uh, nail on a, br- a blue tarp roof and um, so we wouldn't have any more damage. And I don't know if you remember after that after that hurricane, uh, it didn't rain for a very long time, right. which mm-hmm. was good, but it it was like a hundred oh goodness, the very yeah. next day, you know we had no power yeah. and no water. and so it, it was excruciating. But we had three weeks to clean it up and we did eventually get some contracting uh, help. I had a roofing company. 
At what point did you realize it's going to take us three weeks to open? When did that become a reality to you? Probably a day or two after the assistant principal I mentioned uh, as we were driving to the middle school and saw the damage because we had not been outside of our neighborhood yet in a day. And as we saw the damage up and down the, the street getting to the school, he looked over and he said, I bet we don't have school tomorrow. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and as we got to the school, we looked at each other and thought, it's not going to be tomorrow. Uh, so just the fact that we were able to open up as a district three weeks after that was pretty. So it was as a district. It wasn't like this school opens and then this no. one you guys were able to get everybody yeah. open. Yeah. And so we, uh, to compensate the rest of the year, we added time onto the schedule and we took away some holidays that were, you know, non-essential holidays that we had to make up the time. Uh, and as an instructional leader of the school, I tell people all the time, you can overcome any obstacle you have because that was the highest test scores I had as a school principal, and we missed three weeks of school. Wow. So when we got back into school, the teachers rolled up their sleeves and realized, you know, we can't waste any time. Uh, did you really feel that energy from the teachers? Like, oh, did you, absolutely. You, you felt like everyone was working together uh, it, and, and it, you knew what was at stake. I mean, it was a horrible disaster to go through, uh, but things like that bring a community to get together. You know, my neighborhood, we were grilling out because food was about to spoil, you know, everybody was gathering up their food and I was meeting people I'd not met. You know, we were carpooling to church because we couldn't get gas. And, right. You know, yeah, just uh, things that people don't, you don't think of. Yeah. You know? And it was almost uh, disappointing after, you know, the power came back on and you start getting gas again. Then you, uh, you didn't rely on each other as much. And, and it was nice for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was nice. Now I'd like to have had water at least, yeah. <laughs> at least, uh, yeah. but but you you do learn a lot of things about yourself and others with that. How disruptive, I know you said you, you guys had great test scores, but I mean, really, how disruptive was it for the students? And is there anything you would have done differently with Katrina if you could do it over again? Well, as a school district, the district certainly learned, I mean, because literally uh, having to do payroll because everything wasn't right. just electronic and automatically went direct deposit. Right. And so the school district uh, uh, had to find a generator and cut checks with a with a generator <laughs> and a printer pl- and plugged a- up to a printer. Wow! Now you understand there at that time. Now there are probably thirteen or fourteen hundred employees, but at that time at least a thousand employees who are depending on those checks. Wow! This this break almost breaks my heart as a news person because that's a great story yeah. that we didn't cover. Like yeah. there were so many other things going on, but hearing this now, it almost breaks my heart that we never covered that. Like yeah. the fact that a school district used a generator to get payroll out. That's right, to take care of the people and to make sure they got paid and, and wow. to help everybody along the way. Wow! Um, but you know, the, as far as the students, um, I've never seen uh, middle school students, you know, happy. To come to school. <laughs> it was normal. It, it reestablished normalcy, I guess, That's right? That's right. But I vividly remember, stand, I, I was out there greeting the buses uh, the first day, and it almost makes me tear up to think about it, the first day after um, that we were back, after three weeks, and seeing the students get off the bus, you know, it was their first step of getting things back to normal, and, you know, they were hugging each other, hugging teachers, hugging me, and, you know, just like a family getting back together because they had all made it through. And, you know, some students we lost uh, because uh, 
we didn't have any fatalities, but, you know, uh, homes were destroyed and they had to go other places. Mm-hmm. We gained students. I was just about to ask. You yeah. probably picked up a lot of students from we're, New Orleans and the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We did. Uh, and really, I still remember a few of those that we picked up from other places that <laughs> added a real spice to <laughs> our school and, and that we just really uh, enjoyed having. Yeah, know? I always joke for people that don't know the area. The Hattiesburg, the South Mississippi, the, the people in South Mississippi are polar opposites from, from today. The people in New Orleans were close geographically, right. but personalities are are just they're just different. Like you said, they're, absolutely, you know, and um, it, it's neat to see that that co-mingle and stuff take place on university campuses and stuff. Uh, we had some uh, students from the I think it was was it the Ninth Ward in in New Orleans that, right. that flooded. And I mean, so we had some students who re- relocated from there and. Uh, they had no school records because their schools were demolished. Right. So you, know, you just have to take people at their word. This is what grade I'm in. And and this is the grades I, yeah, I made before, yeah, I guess. And then we, we placed them. Now, and a lot of people had this uh, vision that Hattiesburg was just saturated with people from uh, the New Orleans area and outlying uh, areas that were devastated by the by the hurricane, but we at, at Oak Grove Middle School, we probably only gained about 15 or 20 yeah, and students. I, I think what happened there was the way the storm pushed in and the bridges it damaged down south. Yeah. Most people f- pushed towards Baton Rouge and Houston. That's right. Um, rather than towards the east, which would have That's been right. towards us in, in this particular storm. I mean, and we certainly did get some, but a lot of those uh, had family connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one student um, who was actually uh, visiting her, her father, I think. Uh, in the New Orleans Slidell area, and while down there, experienced that, and they they lost everything there. Um, so we just had a multitude of different stories, and that was so, what a good education for our middle school students to see other people in need like that, and, and to to be able to help them. How do you make up three weeks of school? Well, uh, you don't you don't waste time during the day. And I've seen a lot of uh, charts and uh, calculations of how much time during the 180 days of school that we probably waste. You know, say five minutes a period per day. You know, if if a teacher just shuts down five minutes before the end of class and they do that every day for 180 days, that's way more than three weeks. So, I mean, you just grab time everywhere you could. We, we devised a new bell schedule because I think we added about an hour onto the day. Okay. Or maybe 30 minutes. And um, so we, we made those things longer. Uh, we did not, you know, the, the old getting out for pep rallies or assemblies or fundraising things. We just didn't do stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, instructional time was much more protected. And that's really what we ought to do during the school year. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a culture of having anything fun for the students and anything outside of the classroom, but we just did all we could to protect the instructional time. That's good. And and, and you felt like it was enough? Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think we were extremely productive and, uh, you know, it took us a while to get the buildings and everything all the way back to, uh, to, to order. Uh, but, you know, by the end of the year, it was uh, just a memory. You know, and it's funny, it, around here, everything – you would hear the term pre-Katrina and post-Katrina that's for, for at least a year. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, was longer. It by, yeah. By the next year, did you feel like, you know, we've, we're back on track or did you feel like you were still picking up pieces? No, I, I really felt like we were on track uh, by that next year. I don't remember any, uh, you know, physical part of the building or anything that was not 
uh, back up where it needed to be by right. that time. And you had a full school year. This hit in August. So basically, right. I mean, you had a complete year to, right. to get back on track. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I do remember <laughs> uh, by the time Thanksgiving uh, came around, and I do remember this vividly, because ordinarily we would have had uh, this encompassed Labor Day. So we were not out for Labor Day. Uh, there was no fall break. Uh, there were a couple of times that we would have been out that we weren't. And I remember all of us thinking by the time Thanksgiving holidays got there, we were just worn out. I bet. Because that three weeks that we are technically, what you would say, off. Yeah, you're, you're dealing with problems at home. You're dealing with problems absolutely. at work. Uh, I was know. literally borrowing chainsaws at home because there was no hiring anybody to come cut pine trees down. No, and no. I had pine trees uh, in several different places, my yards. I was learning how to cut a pine tree and literally rolling the remains of the pine trees down the hill of my front yard to the side of the road for the people to come eventually. And it took two or three months before they were able to, the county or the Corps of Engineers, whoever did all the cleanup, was able to get that out of the yards. So I would work at the school, you know, 10, 12 hours on the roof, cleaning up, uh, cleaning up the outside, uh, doing administrative things to get ready for the return, then would go home and basically do the same thing at home. So I don't and I don't remember ever being as tired as I was. Katrina, like you said, it was so widespread. Everyone had to deal with their own problems. Yeah. Um, we're about to transition to tornadoes, where it was a little bit more pointed. Right. Um, and, and you had community help. People weren't tied up with their own issues, mm-hmm. and they were able to help out. What I want to do, this is a, a phenomenal conversation. I want to break this up into two parts. Um, so, um, you know, we've gotten through Katrina 2005. We're about to shift towards a, a tornado that hit in 2013 and then another campus that you were at in Mm -hmm. 2017 both (laughs) these tornadoes these were ef3 and ef4 tornadoes right right. like so these were i mean massive tornadoes one of them i think was close to a mile wide or like three quarters of a mile wide the one in 13 i believe was because when you saw the aerial and i'm sure you've seen the pictures of the aerial path uh it will just scare you to death yeah so these were frightening storms less warning but here's what i want to do we're going to actually do that on the next episode we're going to talk about that so uh, definitely tune in for that that's going to do it for this episode of class dismissed if you want to send us an idea or comment remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at class dismiss we're here to support educators but we need your support as well so please subscribe to the show and we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on itunes on behalf of all the good people working at school status and christina representing all those educators out there thank you for listening i'm nick ortigo and i'll talk with you next week class dismissed